Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quest for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Ed Slover, and I'm fiercely passionate about helping others build a high-performing mindset that allows them to bring about positive, transformative change in their lives. Today, we put a wrap on this three-part series about why we do anything by discussing attention-seeking behavior and how it relates to the thread that's been woven through each of these three episodes. And that thread is self-reinforcing behavior. One final time, self-reinforcing behavior is a process by which people control their own behavior by rewarding themselves for achieving a certain standard. In part one, I made the connection to romantic relationships. And in part two, I related it to the potential despair that can come with comfort or too much comfort. Now I'm gonna connect self-reinforcing behavior to attention-seeking behavior, which is a human instinct to want to be noticed, to be taken seriously, and to be loved. And who doesn't want those things? In many ways, attention-seeking behaviors come from a place most of us can relate to. I mean, these are places that most of us can understand. And knowing that, this doesn't seem to be that big of a problem until it is. When attention-seeking behaviors are motivated by feelings of low self-esteem, jealousy, loneliness, or perhaps a psychiatric condition or mental illness, such behavior can be viewed as extreme. And let's face it, attention-seeking behavior is everywhere, especially on social media. All of us seemingly have a friend that spends way too much time on social media constantly bragging about their successes or posting controversial topics or other potentially inappropriate things in the ongoing pursuit of being validated by others. Another example are young children. I mean, who hasn't seen a young child having a meltdown at a grocery store where they're writhing on the floor trying to get the attention of their parent who will buy in uh, to their tantrum in order for them to get the Skittles that they want? Whether it's an adult or a child, people engage in attention-seeking behavior in many different ways, and they're apt to make other people uncomfortable, embarrassed, or even irritated. For the rest of this particular podcast, I'm going to keep the context of attention-seeking behavior about adults, discussing more examples and how you can cope with someone who is engaging in attention-seeking behavior when you encounter that. First, let's talk about a few other examples. I reference social media. Uh, Comments, whether they're online or uh, in person, that are designed or calculated to make others feel uncomfortable. Bragging constantly about physical appearance, successes, career success, money, certain material things. Uh, Another example is people that catastrophize everything, making uh, things about their life or your life seem way worse than they actually are. People that engage in provocative or promiscuous or even exhibitionist behavior is certainly Uh, attention-seeking. Making self-deprecating comments, you know, such as, uh, you know, I'm not good enough or I don't have the skill set to complete this and I need your help and they end up watching you perform whatever it is they claim they're unable uh, unable to do. Now, when we cross over the line to mental illness or psychiatric disorders, a couple stand out 
within the framework of attention-seeking behavior. The first is histrionic personality disorder. Another way of saying that is there's an over-dramatization of everything in their lives. Another is borderline personality disorder. Then you have bipolar disorder, uh, ADHD, and probably the first one that came to mind for you as I, when I brought up psychiatric disorders or mental illness is narcissistic personality disorder. This tends to uh, sort of envelop this idea of attention-seeking behavior when it is taken to an extreme because the attention seekers make it almost exclusively about themselves and focus either less or not at all on other people. So persistent and extreme attention-seeking behavior really needs to, needs to be recognized and these people need to be referred to uh, mental health professionals in, in order to try to help them navigate through this. So if you ever encounter a situation like that with a friend or a loved one, maybe a coworker, um, getting professional assistance um, for that person or at least encouraging that uh, is absolutely recommended. So aside from mental health conditions and, and more commonly, people that fish for compliments or being controversial to provoke a reaction or embellishing stories to gain praise or sympathy, as previously mentioned, it's largely born out of low self-esteem, jealousy, and or loneliness. The question is, why do they continually engage in this type of behavior? Asked differently, why do they constantly seek attention in this manner? The answer, because it works. People, when people seek attention and continue to seek attention in this particular way, it's because they've been given the attention in the past. It's because this type of behavior has actually elicited a response, whether it's positive or negative, it's elicited a, it's elicited a response. And in effect, the behavior has become self-reinforcing because the reward they sought which in this case is the attention itself, the, the reward they sought, they received. And even though the behavior may be off-putting, paying attention to them indirectly or even directly, it, it, it's a form of positive reinforcement. And since most people uh, are, are good-hearted and don't want to be rude, they unwittingly reinforce the behavior of the attention seeker the attention seeker engaged in the first place. So whenever someone is seeking attention and we reinforce it by even mere acknowledgement, that in the mind of the attention seeker absolutely positively reinforces the behavior. And going back to the idea of why do they do it, it's because it works. I mean, Coca-Cola spends over a billion dollars annually in marketing and advertising their products, despite the fact that they're one of the most recognizable brands you know, in the history of the world. And you have to ask, he's like, does it work? Well, clearly it works, otherwise they wouldn't do it. And then we you start looking at the application of, of you know, in other areas. Like when we talked previ in previous episodes about payoffs, people fundamentally don't do something unless they are actually receiving some sort of payoff for whatever it is that they're doing. And if, I mean, if and only when the costs exceed the payoffs, do they likely stop? And so for attention seekers, they wouldn't engage in such behavior if it didn't get the attention that they were seeking. 
And like I said just a minute ago, it doesn't necessarily have to be positive. The brain, the brain, you know, fires as it wires. That's you know sort of an old adage in neuroscience. And we can wire our brain from an attention standpoint. We wire our brain at a really young age, where if we are seeking behavior and then that behavior is reinforced, all of a sudden there is a connection. The most basic example of this are in infants, where as a parent, one of the things that you learn whenever you put your child down for the for the evening is, are they? You ask yourself, are they fed? Are they dry and are they safe? Well, if, if you can check the boxes on, boxes on that and when you swaddle them and put them into their crib, at some point, they're going to start to cry. Now, the brain fires as it's wired. Well, if the baby starts to cry and you feeling badly about the baby crying, go and pick it up. You are teaching the baby that their crying will be reinforced. They are in effect seeking attention. They want the comfort of you picking them up and holding them, despite the fact that they are dry, they are safe, and they are fed. So that's really kind of how this works, um, you know, in simplistic terms. That it just doesn't make sense for us to not pursue uh, things that lead to some sort of payoff. And in when the attention seeker gets attention from the behaviors that they're engaging in, it becomes self-reinforcing. So that's really framing you know, everything up. It, one of the things that we really need to, to kind of take a look at is this idea of removing positive reinforcement. Now, if we're going to help or, or even be a little bit helpful, what we really try to do is we try to remove the positive reinforcement and not engage in the drama when the, uh, when the drama is initiated. One of the things that we have to acknowledge too is that getting involved in drama, especially other people's drama, is somewhat fun for a lot of people. They, they, they that serves as you know some type of payoff for them as well. But if we're going to try to lessen and or shut down the attention-seeking behavior of someone else because it's offensive or off-putting or whatever, we can't fall you know victim of getting sucked into the drama. We need to stay emotionally neutral and pay attention to how we're feeling in the moment so we're not triggered to engage uh, or perpetuate the self-reinforcing cycle of the person seeking the attention. So, for instance, if you find yourself getting angry you know, from the situation or you feel uncomfortable, that might be a situation where you need to remove yourself from the situation and not fan the flame, so to speak. For example, sort of in the bucket of reinforcement, um, you, so you have positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, uh, punishment, and extinction. Well, extinction is this idea where you just don't add any fuel to the fire. For example, uh, a number of years ago when my family bought a puppy, well, my, that puppy, Gus, is absolutely my wife's dog. There is ab there's no question about it. Gus is my wife's dog. Uh, from here to there and there was a there was a period of time where she would come home from work and he would go over the top excited now he was a puppy and that's what puppies do and she would uh, she would actually address him by saying down or no or off and 
what what she didn't realize in the moment was that the dog didn't speak English. Well, she she knew that. That makes me sound like a jerk. But the the dog doesn't speak English, and because he we hadn't taught him verbal commands just yet. And what happened was her communicating with him positively and reinforced his behavior for jumping in the first place. And so what we did, we agreed that uh, she would do a bit of a test for you know seven, ten days, maybe two weeks, where whenever she came in, she would just keep moving and not address his behavior. And as it turns out, after about two weeks, his behavior completely went completely in the opposite direction, where he stopped jump, jumping. Make no mistake, he still got excited, but it wasn't the off-putting behavior that uh, she was experiencing previously. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that human beings are dogs. What I am suggesting is that we become conditioned to, uh, in this case, to the attention that's, you know, that's being given from our behaviors, and that attention serves as a, as a reward, and thereby it becomes self-reinforcing. So the first kind of step to, to deal with this or cope with this is to remove the positive reinforcement. The other is, you know, as you know, as these certain situations start to start to calm down or de-escalate, we need to have a direct you know conversation with this person about their behavior and let them know how we feel about it. When giving feedback like this, I strongly encourage you to use I statements rather than you statements. You statements put people on the defensive. I statements mean that you're taking ownership for how you feel in the moment. So I feel this, I feel that, rather than you make me feel this way or you make me feel that way. Because one of the things that we do want to avoid in this type of conversation is anything that resembles casting blame or even shaming the other person. So the discussion really needs to be exclusively based uh, about their behavior and not their character. Now, if this is a friend or a family member or, or, or close coworker, someone that you care about, you really need to double down on this being about their behavior and not their character. Because there is risk in a conversation like this where you, you know, being open and transparent can actually potentially damage the relationship. But what we know is that the attention-seeking behavior isn't helpful to the relationship. In fact, it is potentially destructive to the relationship over time. So the goal in addressing it directly is getting them to acknowledge their behavior so hopefully they can start addressing the underlying reasons why they engage in such behavior in the first place. I mean, perhaps they were physically or emotionally abandoned as a child. Perhaps they never fully believed that their parents loved them. Perhaps they were bullied or ridiculed incessantly in junior high and high school. And while none of those are justification for attention-seeking behavior as an adult, they do serve as explanations for that behavior. So from there, what you can help them do is encourage them to listen more. And you can have them do that starting in this conversation right now. It's it's commonly accepted that attention seekers tend to do a lot of talking rather than listening. They tend to focus on themselves more than focusing on others. So encourage them to spend more time and focus on others and let them know, set the stage for them that this is going to be quite uncomfortable at first and that's okay. 
So shifting attention from yourself to other people can actually help the attention seeker feel closer, thereby getting more of what they want in the first place, or at least what they claim they want, which is more attention. And that's really the irony to all of this. People engaging in self-seeking behavior can you know, put off people that are close to them. They put the, they're off-putting to the people that they claim they want the attention from the most. And they actually perpetuate the opposite of that whenever they're engaging in that type of behavior. But it's, and this is where the irony comes in, where if they actually back off and give more time and focus to other people and they're more others focused, it actually brings them closer to the people that they care about the most. It's kind of funny how that works. So when you think about sort of the nature of attention seeking behavior, it's like what really is the primary contributor of this? Well, we know it's irrational for a person to engage in something that doesn't maximize our payoff. That, that, that's self-evident. But the question is, for the attention seeker, it's like, what really is root cause? And there might have been an event in the past. There may have been, uh, you know, whether, like I mentioned earlier, physical or, or emotional abandonment. There could have been physical or emotional abuse. There could have been any number of things that actually served as the epicenter for pursuing that. And how they go about pursuing that is trying to regain control. That's ultimately what we're, what, what we're taking a look at here is that they're trying to gain some semblance of control within a particular situation or within a particular or, or, or within their life. Uh, I spoke with a young man earlier this year that who, gosh, whose upbringing was nothing short of catastrophic and without going into tremendous details as a consequence of uh, severe physical and emotional abuse, he, he controlled every single variable in his life. And doing so was a form of attention-seeking behavior that when things got out of control, he did not know how to cope. And unfortunately, it got so bad uh, earlier this year, he took his own life. Now, clearly, that's a tragic end to a young person's life. That's um, that, That's just incalculably wrong that he had to deal with that type of abuse when he was a young child just trying to uh, find his way uh, in, in the world and that ultimately was the end result. Now as I mentioned that's clearly an extreme case but what what we do know is that his attempts to control the different variables in his life actually uh, led to some success and that success reinforced the behavior of him being hyper-controlling. Not coincidentally, that hyper-control or that pursuit of, of being hyper-controlling actually pushed people away. And in so doing, and it certainly wasn't the fault of the people that got pushed away um, or, the person, or the, even the people that left, but it led to him being or feeling completely out of control in his life and that precipitated his suicide. So and that kind of gets back to that irony of this situation where attention-seeking behavior serves to 
uh, be, make people uncomfortable or irritated and can be damaging to the relationship. Uh, and, but when we actually are others focused and, uh, and really care to give time and energy and effort to other people, we can actually bring them closer to us, which is what we claim we want in the first place. This is multifaceted. This is multi-layered, and we have to figure out. It's like what what ultimately will will work from us that that proves helpful and useful to our lives, rather than continuing to perpetuate something that just ultimately causes pain. In effect, the self-reinforcing behavior creates a bias toward reinforcing the behaviors, and and this is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to change. And in many ways, we're as I mentioned earlier, what we're doing is we're controlling the variables of our lives. And uh, if we actually give some critical thought to this, this, this is self-evident. And, you know, life's hard. And, and, and what we really are trying to do is trying to figure out what will work from us, those things that are helpful, those things that maximize payoff, those things that minimize pain, those things that bring about the greatest payoffs the, at a minimal cost. And we tend to perpetuate that. There's nothing, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, you could argue quite credibly that that's you know how we're built. I mean, if you espouse macroevolution, you know the natural selection uh, will it will teach you how to emphasize payoffs and minimize cost. If you believe in God, you believe then he he ordered um, it. You know how human beings are structured and how we ultimately will will think about things. You know even though he gives us free will. In either case evolution or creation, neither gives a rip about our, our safety and comfort, which is why we continually seek out those things that we can control to bring about some sense of peace and certainty in our lives. And in controlling those variables and finding a measure of success in doing so, we then reinforce our behavior. And in the context of attention-seeking behavior, um, this works the exact same way. So what we're trying to do ultimately is get attention to make our lives easier or more tolerable or even more enjoyable. And this really is important to understand, not only for understanding our own motivation, but as well as the motivation of others. And I encourage you to focus less on what people say and more on what people do. The metaphor I like to use is called watch their feet. And it's this idea that non-verbally we can't go anywhere without our feet feet. And it speaks to this idea of taking action. And all of us can learn a great deal about assessing our own actions and the actions of others. All of us can be better for ourselves when we do that, and we can be better for other people, especially the attention seekers that we care about, so we can have these fierce conversations with them to inform them that what they're doing is actually counterproductive to what it is that they claim they want. And if the goal here is to maintain the integrity of the relationships, if the goal here is to continue building positive, productive relationships with the people that come in and out of our world, it's incumbent upon us to, uh, to have those conversations and give them tools or direct them to individuals that can provide them tools in order to be better for themselves so then they can be better for everyone that they let into their world. And what is past is prologue. And it's always food for thought, fellow questers. 
Be sure to pass the show on to a friend or anyone you think that could benefit. Consider leaving a five-star rating and visit us at thequestforlife.com. That's the quest number four, life.com. Thank you for joining the conversation.